So for those of you who haven't been with us, we've been working through the book of 1 John, and uh, today we come to the very last verse of 1 John. And the very last verse of 1 John, it's just uh, six, six words. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. And this is kind of a strange thing to see, because if you read through the book of 1 John, he hasn't even mentioned idols or idolatry the whole way. So it's kind of like, I, I guess I can kind of understand this now. He's, he's an old man, and you know, when you get, as you get older, you kind of go from topic to topic sometimes, and, and uh, other less uh, mature people can't always see the connections between the things you're bringing up. Uh, but, uh, but there's another way of looking at this, and that is that, that everything he's talked about in the whole book of 1 John, everything about faith and life and love and forgiveness and relationships and hope and eternal life, all, all of those ideals come back, to this, come back to this. Keep yourself from idols. What it's all about is knowing the true God and serving the true God and trusting the true God. Now, you're probably familiar with the ancient traditions of idolatry, how old, and back in the day people would make these statues and they would give them names and they would pray to them and then they would sacrifice bulls and goats and, and sheep and, and maybe an occasional child to these, to these statues, hoping that somehow they would get something from them. And... Uh, and that, that was idolatry back in the day. But, you know, the question is, what is idolatry now? I decided to do some really intense, deep research on what is idolatry in America in the uh, 21st century. And so I Googled the word idol. And, uh, and I, what I discovered is on, on Google, the first about 20 pages in response to the query idol you get 20 pages on the TV show that's about the singing contest that brought us Ryan Seacrest and Simon Cowell and all of those guys. And, you know, but, but I, the interesting thing to me is what that reminds me of is the fact that we're so desperate for something or someone to venerate and to look up to and be excited about and, and project all of our hopes and dreams on that in America today we'll go looking for a 20-year-old who looks good and sings well and promote them to the status of idol in our life. You know, the American celebrity culture where we choose certain people and make them famous simply for being famous, even though they haven't really accomplished anything or done anything, we just have decided that we're going to make these people celebrities uh, is is one glimpse, I think, of our need for something to venerate, something to honor, something to look to. Look to. But in ancient history, in ancient times, uh, every culture, every, every country had their own gods. And sometimes when countries went to, bo- to war, especially in, you, you see this in the Old Testament, it was almost like the two gods were going to war and uh, the gods were going to war and sort of waging a proxy fight with the two nations. And so, for example, in 1 Samuel chapter 5, there's the story of the people of Israel have kind of fallen away, but, uh, but they're going to war against the Philistines 
and they need a little extra mojo. And so someone has the bright idea of, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant into the battlefront with us. And so they bring the Ark with them. And, and what happens is it doesn't work out so well. They lose the battle. They, they retreat, and they leave the Ark behind. And so the Philistines capture the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, you know, that Moses had built. This is sort of the most sacred thing in all of, of uh, the worship of Israel. And uh, so what do the Philistines do? They don't know quite what to do with it, but they bring the ark into Dagon's temple. You might remember this story. And they just kind of set it there like it's their conquest. It's something they've won. And then what happens is every morning they wake up and the statue of Dagon, their god, has fallen on his face. And so they prop him back up. And the next morning he's fallen on his face. And then they prop him back up. And then the next morning they come there and he's fallen on his face and he's shattered to pieces. <laughs> and they get the message that I think we've got to get this ark out of here. <laughs> he's beating up on Dagon. And, uh, but but that, that was kind of an image. Whenever, you know, Israel, the nation of Israel, the people of God were in this very pluralistic world and all of their conflicts were seen as, as conflicts between gods. And the message that, that God, that Yahweh always had to the people of Israel was, I'm the God of gods, I'm the King of kings, I'm the Lord of lords, I'm the God over all of these gods. And that's why he was always saying, you shall have no other God before me. Do not make for yourself an idol or graven image. Because, because God's whole agenda in the Old Testament was to say, I'm, I'm it. I'm the only God. But now here's the thing. I think that in our day today, it's still as much of a challenge because there's all these different things that want to take the place of God in our life. And it's our job to let God be God and to have no other God but God. You know, and it doesn't matter if you're a deeply spiritual person or a superstitious person or a secular person. We all of us have a need and an inclination to find something to put in that place that only God can occupy. All of us, part of being human, I believe, is that we're all deeply spiritual and we find something in our life to to uh, direct our spirituality to. And in fact, one of the ways to understand yourself is to figure out what, what are my gods? What are the things that are competing with God for first place in my life? Uh, you know, we need something to serve. We need something to give ourselves to. Uh, to paraphrase what G.K. Chesterton said, when we stop worshiping God, the problem is that we then it is not that we then no longer worship anything. If you stop worshiping God, the problem is that then you'll worship absolutely everything. And so here in 1 John, John, uh, John the Apostle writes his parting, his last words. Some people say these might be the last words, chronologically speaking, written in the Bible. Keep yourself from idols. Some other translations say guard yourself from idols or or, you know, it's, it's more of an active word, like be vigilant against the idols in your heart. So, so that's the universal challenge. This is not just an ancient thing. It's also a modern thing. The ancients had uh, conflicts between gods, and they were, these were played out between, as the conflicts between nations. 
Um, you know, we have our own conflicts between gods. The ancients had their temples that they built where they worshipped their gods, where they went to venerate their gods, where they went to make sacrifices to gods. We build different kinds of temples. You know, for some it's the shopping mall, for others maybe the corridors of power, for others maybe a sports stadium where we go watch our idols perform. The ancient world had their priesthoods that, that managed access to the, to the uh, idols. In the modern world, we have other things. Maybe it's a, uh, a boss who controls your future, an admissions officer who determines if you'll get into the program you want to be a part of, a coach or another gatekeeper who stands between you and the things that you think you really want. You know, in the ancient world, people would sacrifice almost anything of value to their idols to prove their devotion to their idols. People would sacrifice bulls and goats and, and lambs. People would sacrifice wine or grain if they were in, from a more agrarian society. When they were really desperate, and there are stories of this in the Old Testament and, and from history, where people would sacrifice children to idols to show to their gods that they were that they were desperate. Now, and in our world, I think we make sacrifices as well. I think we usually think of uh, when we think of idolatry in 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 a, in a spiritual sense, we think of decadent things that we we are inclined towards. You know, money and sex and power, the basic content of a rap music video. It's all all the idols there on display. But I think what's much more insidious, at least for you people, is the idols of church-going people, which I think are, are, are even more dangerous in a lot of ways. And I think sometimes the more religious you are, the more in danger you are of creating your own idols. I mean, from, from my observation, the most idolatrous person I know is a pastor because we're all, we're all very uh, at risk for this. Because here's what we do. We take good things and we make them the ultimate things. We take good things and we make them into gods. And that can be something like your ideal of uh, what your family is supposed to look like. That can be the ideal of what you want your children to develop into and become. That can be uh, your hope for uh, financial success or personal success. It can even be your particular religious taste or uh, religious doctrines or religious positions um, or, or rules that you, you believe everybody who is religious should follow in a certain way. And, you know, a lot of these things are good, good goods that we should, you know, I, I think we should try to build healthy families. We should try to help our kids be successful. We should try to develop our careers in meaningful ways. We should care about our uh, doctrines and our, our practice of faith. They're good goods, but they're terrible gods. And, and, you know, here's the risk, is when you elevate these things to a position of, of God in your life, you run the risk of destroying the things that are the most important to you. I mean, it's, it's very tempting in its own way for people who, when they have kids, to become to become just obsessed about the well-being of the kids, their success of their kids, the health of their kids, and, and the prosperity of their kids, and to be completely consumed with that. But now I know probably if you've been around the block, you've known parents or you've known kids who were raised that way by, 
by parents who were obsessed with them, by parents who tried to control every aspect of their life, by parents who worried about them constantly. And it's a great way to wreck a kid. And I, I know a lot of people who were ruined by overprotective, over-controlling, over-obsessive parents who couldn't trust that God was going to work in them. And, and that's true for every area of life. The, the things that you make, the goods that you make gods in your life, you are most likely to destroy because you'll be holding on to them too tightly and you'll be giving them a place in your life that they can't handle. Uh, so that's why Paul or John here says, keep yourself, be vigilant against the idols of your heart. Be vigilant against your own tendency to let other things, whatever they might be, take the place of God in your life. So now, I'll just uh, to expand on this a little bit, how does God deal with our idols? Bible's pretty clear that, that the, the number one commandment is what? Have no other gods before me. There's nothing more important in your life than that you know how to let God be God. And when we set up idols in our life, Bible says that what God does is he pours out his wrath against idolatry. Romans chapter 1 puts it this way. The wrath of God is being revealed against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. Now, when you think of the wrath of God, what do you think of? What do you think of, Ben? You know, the Old Testament. Well, the wrath of God, what, you, what do you think of? It's like, uh, you know, hellfire and brimstone coming down. You think, you think of people getting struck by lightning. Uh, maybe, maybe that, I, I mean, I don't know what your images are, but let me tell you what Romans, how Romans 1 describes the wrath of God. You know what the wrath of God is? It says, because of this, God gave them over. Essentially, God's wrath manifests itself in this age as God just letting you have everything you want. God's wrath manifests itself by him if you say, well, if money's the most important thing to you, I'll give you all the money you want and see what happens. If, if uh, this relationship is the most important thing to you, maybe I'll give you that relationship and we'll see what happens. If kids are the most important thing to you, well, I'll give you kids and we'll see how that works out. Uh, you know, what, what God... God, God's wrath, God's punishment, as it manifests itself in this day and in this age, is to let you go. To let you go and worship whatever you want to worship. Indulge and give yourself to whatever you want to give yourself to. Because idolatry is ultimately its own punishment. Our tendency towards idolatry is ultimately going to, has in it the seeds of its own destruction. I mean, think about it. You see people in this world who've received everything they've ever wanted, and, and you look at them and say, boy, if I had your career, if I had, if I had your success, if I had your stuff, that, that's all the stuff I want. But then you look at them and you say, well, why are you so miserable? Why is your life such a wreck anyways? Jim Carrey, you guys remember Jim Carrey? Some of you might be old enough to remember Jim Carrey, but he, he was... <laughs> He was, uh, in, in the 90s and, and the early part of, of the noughts, he was, he, he was making three or four movies a year. He was one of the most famous actors, and, and then he kind of dropped off the screen for a while. 
And uh, when he came back after he, he went on his little retreat, one of the things he said was this. I think that this is profound. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. And that's, I, th I think, a good thing for all of us to keep in mind, that if you did get as rich and famous and if you did manage to do everything and buy everything and experience everything you wanted to experience, what would you discover? Probably that it's not the answer. I mean, one of the cruelest ironies of life, I think, is when people get everything they ever wanted and realize that it's actually not enough because there's something else. And so God, God's wrath on those who insist on not following him is to give them over. Give them over to these tendencies, these urges, these desires, these longings, and let, let, him exper let, let, let us experience them. But what about God's grace? What about God's mercy? What's God's mercy in response to our tendency to idolatry? How does God act graciously when he wants to rescue and redeem someone who's going down the wrong path and worshiping the wrong gods? Well, the Bible says it's kind of the opposite. It says that God's grace is when he frustrates our desires. Hebrews chapter 12 puts it this way. Endure hardship as discipline, because God is treating you as children. And then Hebrews 12 goes on to say how, how when God is being gracious to us, that's when he, he keeps us from going, from wandering away from him. That's when he goes and gets us when we have fallen away from us. God loves his children too much to let them get ensnared by idols, so that when we when we find ourselves going in this direction, he frustrates us. So let me ask you this. Any of you have frustrations in your life right now? You're frustrated about a few things? Well, that's the reason you're so frustrated is because God loves you so much. And God is using those frustrations to guide you and direct you and, and push you back onto the path that he wants you to be. God's addressing your idols and showing you your limits. You know, I think as we go through life, we inevitably have these frustrations, frustrations with work, frustrations with family, frustrations with kids, frustrations with our stuff, frustrations with relationships and, and uh, frustrations with our home, frustrations with our plan for our life. But all of those things for the child of God, those are God's ways of bringing you back to himself. God's ways of pushing you to reevaluate and reconsider where your life is going and what you're doing and to recognize that, you know, your family, your children, your work, your kids, your stuff, your apartment, all these kinds of things aren't really the thing that is going to ultimately satisfy you. Only he is going to do that. And so when your life gets frustrating, that's your opportunity to reaffirm God's place on his throne in your heart. And so my challenge for all of us is when you find yourself in a place of frustration, maybe that's, you know, when you're frustrated about a particular thing in your life, that's the place where God wants to work on you. That's, you know, when you find yourself in that place where your desires are unmet, that's the place where God is showing you his sufficiency. That's the place where God is 
working to help you grow into everything he wants you to be. One of the things I've noticed over the long term, over the course of our lives, is that the people who have the most frustrating lives are, if they're followers of Christ, are also the people who are the most full of grace and peace. Because all of those frustrations that they have, all those external frustrations that you look at and say, how did they get through that? How did they get through that health problem? How did they get through that career setback? How did they get through that family problem? All of those things are opportunities in their life for them to go back to God and to experience His grace and to seek His grace and to know His grace. Every irritation, every frustration is God's way of pushing you back to Himself. Every loss and tragedy and pain in your life is a new opportunity for you to discover at a deeper, more profound level that God is sufficient. That's what God is doing in your life if He's gracious to you. If you're getting everything you ever wanted, I'd be really worried about you right now because that's when you don't need God or when you think you don't need God because you've replaced Him. But when you're frustrated, when your dreams aren't coming true, that's your opportunity to discover again in ways you've never yet accepted how God's sufficiency can work in your life. So, how do you discover your idols? Let me just give you four things. First of all, look at your fantasies. When you let your mind wander, where does it go? What, what, does your, what, is, what is your mind or what are your daydreams attracted to or drawn towards when, when you have a chance to daydream? What are the things in your life that you say, well, when I get that, then I'll be happy. When I get that job, when I get that apartment, when I, when I get that... Uh, that relationship, then I'll be happy. Because whatever your, whatever your answer to the question is, when I get that, then I'll be happy, that's your idol right now. And let me tell you what's going to happen is you'll get that eventually, and you'll discover, well, you're still you, and there's a bunch of other things you think you need if you're going to be happy. So what are the fantasies, the things that you, that you put in that place that I can't be happy, I can't be at peace till I have that? And the second one is, your free time, when you have free time, when you have uncommitted time, what do you do with it? What do you spend it on? When you find yourself with free time, where, where, does, where does your energy go? Where does your effort go? Uh, most telling one, third one, is your emotions. And, uh, and when you think about what makes you had, happy, what makes you sad, what makes you angry, what makes you worried, uh, you know, your emotions will reveal your idols probably more, more directly than anything else. And I think sometimes we confuse ourselves because we have these strong emotions and we don't even know why. We're, we're struggling with this anxiety and we can't sleep at night or we're just kind of full of anger and we keep kicking our cat and we don't understand because it's, you know, the cat's just being a cat. Um, or um, well, some, some people's cats are really abused here, I can tell. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, or, or we're really just worried about something we, and we can't understand why. And sometimes you kind of have to untangle that. And that's where it helps to have a good friend or even, or even to, to go to a good counselor and talk through your anxiety or your depression or your anger and figure out what's really at the root of that. Which one of your idols was gored and is, is making you so sad right now or so 
depressed right now? Which one of your idols do you have to kick out of your life so that you can be at peace again, so that you can be free again? So our emotions, our free time, our fantasies. And then finally, number four, and I think this is probably the, the most obvious. This is the one that everyone else will see. You won't see it, but everyone else, ask your friends. They'll tell you. It's what do you sacrifice to? The character of idols in the Old Testament was they were things that people sacrificed to. And the ancients, the pagans, the more desperate they got, the more sacrifices they made. Like I said, they, they'd bring their bulls, they'd bring their goats, they'd bring their lambs, and then if they were going to war, they thought they were going to lose a war, they'd start sacrificing children. They'd do anything to appease their idols so their idols could give them the thing that they want. You know, and when we have idols in our life, you'll know it because it's the thing that, that you start sacrificing your most important relationships for. It's the thing you're willing to sacrifice your health for. It's the thing you're willing to sacrifice your integrity for. It's the thing that you're willing to sacrifice even your good sense for. The thing you're willing to go into debt for, even though you're otherwise responsible. Those are the things that are the idols. You know, when in, in our life and you look around and people are giving their life away to all these different things and you look at them and you just say why but they're sacrificing to the things that they think will ultimately satisfy them want to read a little quote from Tim Keller he he puts it this way we might not kneel before the statue of Aphrodite but many young women today are driven to depression and eating disorders by obsessive concern over body image. We might not actually burn incense to Artemis, but when money and career are raised to cosmic significance, we perform a kind of child sacrifice. We neglect our family and our community to achieve a higher place in business and to gain more wealth and prestige. The true mark of the idols in your life is what are you making the most dramatic sacrifices for? The true mark of the things that have a hold on you is, is your willingness to give away the things that matter most to those idols. When we come before the true God, our relationship with him is not defined by what we sacrifice to him, but by the fact that he sacrificed himself for us. Our relationship with the God who's the creator of the world is not based on what we've done for him, but it's based on us resting in what he has done for us. You know, the gospel ultimately is the way to root out your idols. When you get to the place where you say that what I really need and what I'm really looking for and what I'm really waiting for is not something that I can earn or achieve or win right here and right now, but what I really need is what was earned and achieved and won for me by my Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the cross means. That's what the gospel means. That's how searching the, go the, the gospel is supposed to be in our life. When we look at the things that make us depressed, when we look at the things that make us anxious, and we look at the things that make us angry, and we look at the things that are frustrations in our life, and we wonder, how am I ever going to get past these things? The challenge is to make the gospel so real to you and to make your experience of God so real to you and to make your, your relationship with God so profound to you that it gives you what you need to get through the things that are depressing you. It gives you what you need to get through the things that are keeping you up at night. It gives you what you need to get through the agonies of this life.
And that's, that's the story of the gospel. That's why Jesus came, because God of the universe is not a God who calls us to come and make sacrifices to him that we might gain his favor. He's a God who came and gave himself for us so that if we trust in him and rest in him, we might know his favor and recognize that that is what we're looking for. Here's the thing about the idols of this world. If you're successful in gaining everything this world has to offer, then ultimately it just disappoints you, leaves you feeling empty-handed, and leaves you feeling cheated. Like old Jim Carrey. Don't take my word for it. Take Jim Carrey's word for it. You get everything you ever wanted, only to discover that it's not actually what you wanted. When you get the idols of this world, they disappoint you. But on the other hand, when you fall short of them, when you fail them, they crush you, they devastate you, they shame you, they embarrass you. We all know what it's like to set your heart on something and then not get it, to want something more than anything else and then realize we can't have it. When you come to God himself and you fail him, and we do fail him, the Bible says he always forgives. He's always gracious to us. And when you get him, when you get him, finally, you'll be satisfied. Psalm 73, the writer's pulling himself out of frustration, his frustrations with life. He says, I went and I prayed about it, and then I realized this. Whom have I in heaven but thee? The earth has nothing I desire apart from thee. My flesh and my heart will fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for all of our idols, all the things we've sacrificed to, all the things we've put our hope in, all the things we've put our faith in, all the things we've served, all the things we've obeyed that can never actually satisfy us, that can never actually meet our ultimate need. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for frustrating those pursuits. And help us, Lord. Help us to look to you. Help us to see you. Help us to see your glory and your grace in a way that will make all of our idols fade away. And we can be satisfied in you. To know that you are the strength of our heart and our portion forever. Make that real to us. Father, we pray in this in the name of the one who gave himself for us, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.